Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Royalty 101. What is a lady-in-waiting? When discussing the history of royalty, ladies-in-waiting pop up frequently. King Henry VIII left his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, for her lady-in-waiting, Anne Boleyn, and then beheaded her for her lady-in-waiting, Jane Seymour. Queen Christina of Sweden and her lady-in-waiting, Eba Spade, were secret lovers. And when Marie Antoinette's lady-in-waiting was guillotined, the queen was forced to kiss the lips of her friend's severed head. But ladies-in-waiting did a lot more than wait around for the monarch to invite them to bed. Let's take a look at the evolution, duties, ranks, and lives of ladies-in-waiting in the royal courts of Europe. Ladies-in-waiting are the female attendants to a queen or high-ranking noblewoman. These women are usually noble themselves, but of a lesser rank than the woman they serve. They were the wives or female relatives of dukes, earls, marquises, barons, etc. A lady-in-waiting was not technically a servant, but was more of a companion to her mistress. Their various duties might include entertaining Her Majesty, caring for Her Majesty's rooms and wardrobe, supervision of servants, budgets, and purchases, reading Her Majesty's correspondence and writing on her behalf, and keeping Her Majesty abreast of all the latest court news and gossip. In return for their service, they might have been well-paid or simply enjoyed expensive gifts from their benefactress and the perks of prestige and political insidership. You might think that a queen would get to pick her own friends, but that was rarely the case. Positions as ladies-in-waiting were highly coveted. Noble men bent over backwards to get their female relatives one of these positions, and ladies were trained from birth to have the skills that might make them valuable to a queen. These women were selected not only for their noble rank and connections, but also because they were talented at playing music, dancing, playing games, having conversations, or anything else that might amuse their mistress and other members of the court. Ladies-in-waiting nursed their mistresses during illness, pregnancy, and during and after childbirth. 
When queens or princesses traveled to foreign lands to be wed, they brought a retinue of ladies from their homeland with them. These women helped them feel less alone in a new country, especially if they did not yet speak the language, though they would often be encouraged to integrate into their husband's court quickly by appointing local noblewomen to their household. The position of lady-in-waiting evolved along with the royal courts over time. Ermontrude of Orléans, who became queen consort of the Franks in 842, gave orders to the same male court officials as her husband, Charles the Bald. But by the next century, Frankish consorts had their own entourage of guards from the nobility as a sign of their own dignity. In the late 12th century, the queens of France had their own households, including noblewomen who were mentioned as ladies-in-waiting. Throughout the Middle Ages, queens only had a handful of official ladies in their retinue. In 1286, Joan I of Navarre, queen consort of France, had five femmes marie, ladies-in-waiting, and a few filles d'honneur, maids of honor unmarried women who were subordinate to the married ladies. In the royal and noble courts of Renaissance Italy, women's roles were reborn. Court life shifted from centering around battle to pomp and ceremony. Ladies now had the opportunity to play a significant role. Both lords and ladies found that they could make themselves look more impressive with a large retinue of hangers-on. When Vittoria Colonna, Marchioness of Piscara, went to visit the court of the King of Naples, she made clear her own magnificence with a procession of six ladies-in-waiting, all dressed alike in bright blue damask. When Venetian noblewoman Caterina Cornaro traveled to Cyprus to wed King James II, she came with an entourage of ladies-in-waiting and servants, so many that it took four galleys to carry them all. Once there, her women got to work, arranging the new queen's daily routine of luxurious splendor. Next, the concept of ladies-in-waiting traveled to the Duchy of Burgundy, the most elaborate court of the 15th century. The Burgundians reveled in art, pageantry, tournaments, and courtly love, and more ladies in significant ceremonial roles fit right in. In 1430, Duke Philip the Good created the chivalric order of the Golden Fleece and bestowed the honor upon many other crowned heads, thus spreading the influence of his court far and wide. The French, the English, the Dutch, the Spanish, and many others took the idea of ladies-in-waiting and ran with it. Anne of Brittany, who was Queen of France twice through her marriages to King Charles VIII and his cousin, Louis XII, had 39 ladies-in-waiting. She encouraged all male courtiers to send their daughters to her. King Francis I of France was a true Renaissance man. He was a patron of writing and the arts. He attracted a number of Italian artists to work for him, including Leonardo da Vinci, from whom he acquired the Mona Lisa. Francis was also fond of real-life women. He kept two official court mistresses and created a number of other offices for women at court. His wife, Queen Claude, had a retinue of 54 ladies-in-waiting and maids of honor. 
Sisters Mary and Anne Boleyn served as her maids of honor while their father was ambassador to France. Men at court complained about the constant presence of large crowds of women who gossiped and interfered with state affairs. But the king replied, a court without ladies is a court without a court. When Elizabeth Woodville first married King Edward IV of England in 1452, she had only four female attendants. But after a trip to the court of Burgundy to pick up his golden fleece badge, Edward wrote the Black Book of the Household, organizing his own court in a similar fashion. Elizabeth's daughter, Queen Elizabeth of York, had 36 ladies-in-waiting. The most senior was the mistress of the robes, usually a duchess, the highest rank of the peerage. She was in charge of the queen's clothing and jewelry. She would select appropriate attire for her majesty, help her bathe, dress and undress, do her hair, and apply cosmetics. Next was the first or chief lady of the bedchamber, who managed the queen's bedroom and supervised the ladies of the bedchamber, typically wives or widows of peers above the rank of earl. Next were the group of women of the bedchamber, lower-ranking aristocrats, usually the daughters of peers. And finally, the group of maids of honor, young unmarried women who were just starting out at court. They learned from the more senior ladies in hopes of winning the queen's favor, being promoted, and possibly winning an advantageous marriage. Service in the queen's household was like a finishing school for well-bred young women. They were permitted to use the style, the honorable, for the rest of their lives. When Elizabeth of York's daughter-in-law, Catherine of Aragon, arrived from Spain, she brought a number of ladies with her. Her own mother, Queen Isabel I of Castile, had modeled her court in the Burgundian fashion. Catherine's first husband, Arthur, Prince of Wales, died of the sweating sickness at 15, and the teenage princess was left in limbo. She remained in England, but her father and father-in-law both argued that it was the other's responsibility to support her financially. The princess struggled to feed and clothe herself and her attendants. Some of her ladies stuck by her, including her closest friend, Maria de Salinas, while others returned home to Spain. In 1509, her father-in-law, King Henry VII, died, and his son, now King Henry VIII, married Catherine and made her his queen. She augmented her dwindling entourage with a number of English ladies. As ladies-in-waiting made up most of the female half of the royal court, and were the women the queen and king saw day in and day out, they were usually the ones the king had affairs with. Henry VIII slept with a number of his wives' ladies, including Mary Boleyn and Bessie Blount, both of whom, when they became pregnant, received rich dowries and hasty marriages. After 24 years of marriage, Catherine and Henry only had one living child, a daughter Mary. Henry became obsessed with fathering a male heir, but Catherine was entering menopause and the king was infatuated with a new lady-in-waiting, Anne Boleyn, whom he was sure would give him a son. Queen Catherine refused to become a nun and step aside for her replacement. So Henry split England from the Catholic Church in order to divorce her. 
out of spite, he banished his ex-wife from court and forbid their daughter Mary or any of her ladies from visiting her. As the former queen wasted away from cancer and heartbreak, her lifelong friend Maria de Salinas begged to be allowed to be with her, but the king refused. Finally, Maria forced her way into Kimballed Castle to comfort her friend. Queen Catherine died in her arms two days later. Anne Boleyn also failed to deliver a son. Henry had her beheaded, and 10 days later, he married her lady-in-waiting, Jane Seymour. Jane delivered Henry's long-awaited son, the future King Edward VI, but she died of childbed fever. Next, the king entered into a political marriage with Anne of Cleves, but he didn't find her attractive. He did, however, like the looks of her 16-year-old lady-in-waiting, Catherine Howard, and was frequently spotted entering and exiting her bedchamber late at night. He divorced Anne and made Catherine wife number five. Within a year, she was found to have been unfaithful to the old king. The teenage queen was arrested and beheaded. In between wives, Henry turned his attention to one of the ladies-in-waiting to his daughter, Princess Mary. Catherine Parr became his sixth and final wife. But when she disagreed with him on religion, he seriously considered bumping her off and moving on to another lady-in-waiting, Catherine Brandon. King Henry died in 1547, and the ladies-in-waiting finally got a break. Henry's two daughters, Queen Mary I and Queen Elizabeth I, both took their turns ruling England. The ladies-in-waiting to a queen regnant had far more power than those of a queen consort. When Mary ascended the throne in 1553, age 37, the first thing she did was name her best friend, Susan Clarencieux, who had stuck by her during her many years on the outs with her father and brother, Mistress of the Robes. Susan was the queen's closest confidant and received many gifts from her, including generous grants of land in Essex. She affected policy by advising Her Majesty to marry Philip II of Spain. During the queen's phantom pregnancy, Susan, who had intimate knowledge of her royal person, assured the queen that she was indeed with child, although she voiced the opposite opinion to the French ambassador. When Mary died of uterine cancer after five years on the throne, and her younger sister, Queen Elizabeth, cleaned house of all her sister's Catholic courtiers, Susan left the country. She was welcomed at the court of Philip II, and she spent the rest of her life in Spain. Elizabeth I named Catherine Carey her chief lady of the bedchamber. Catherine was the daughter of Mary Boleyn and was the queen's first cousin. Mary Boleyn had had an affair with King Henry VIII around the time of Catherine's conception, so she was also likely the queen's illegitimate half-sister. Either way, Catherine was Elizabeth's closest female relative, and the pair formed a tight bond. Her husband was named treasurer of the queen's household. Queen Elizabeth took the majesty of monarchy to a new level and added additional tiers to the ranks of ladies-in-waiting. Below the ladies and women of the bedchamber, she added ladies of the privy chamber and ladies of the presence chamber. 
These women's roles centered around the increasingly more exclusive rooms in which Her Majesty spent her days. The bedchamber was the most intimate and therefore reserved for the highest ranking ladies. These ladies held the most visible roles at coronations, banquets, and state visits. Outside of that was the privy chamber where the queen spent her days, to which only slightly less important women were privy. They cared for the queen on a daily basis, keeping her company and making sure she was comfortable and entertained. Beyond and below that was the presence chamber, where the queen hosted public receptions. The women of the presence chamber attended the queen when she wanted a lot of bodies to make her look especially splendid. Each of these many ladies was allowed to have a maid of her own and a spaniel, making for a rather crowded household. While serving the queen was an incredible honor that put women at the heart of royal power, it came with some high costs. Ladies-in-waiting didn't get days off or vacations, though they would be allowed to leave Her Majesty's service during their confinement before the birth of a child. Catherine Carey gave birth to 14 children, maybe because she needed a break. And when Elizabeth became ill with smallpox, her lady Mary Sidney nursed her and contracted the disease herself, ending up with permanent scarring on her face. Queen Elizabeth had a temper and once broke the finger of her lady Mary Scudamore, and she gave another lady who was serving her at the dining table a great blow with a knife. Ladies-in-waiting were not allowed to marry without the queen's permission. When Lady Latisse Nolis secretly married the queen's old flame, Robert Dudley, Her Majesty flew into a rage and banished her from court for the rest of her life. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you.
ladies-in-waiting were the queen's closest friends, and sometimes they were even more than that. Queen Christina of Sweden was under pressure to marry and produce an heir, but she didn't care much for men. Her closest friend was her lady-in-waiting, Eva Spare, known as La Belle Comtesse, the beautiful countess. The pair shared a bed, and Christina bragged that Eva's intellect is as striking as her body. The queen showed little interest in most of her ladies, considering them vain and vapid. She mentioned them in writing only to compare herself as far more masculine than they. Years later, after Christina had abdicated the throne, moved to Rome, and taken a number of female lovers, she remained in contact with Eva. She returned to Sweden only once, but Eva's family prevented the lovers from meeting. Queen Anne of Great Britain appointed her childhood friend Sarah Churchill, Duchess of Marlborough, Lady of the Bedchamber, and she lived up to her position. Anne and Sarah were longtime lovers. Sarah was beautiful and charming while Anne was plain, sickly, and shy. She often used her influence on the queen to her advantage and secured her husband an appointment as a top military commander. The couple were politically opposed. Sarah supported the progressive Whigs and Queen Anne the religious and conservative Tories. Anne grew tired of Sarah's political lectures and attempts to influence policy. Eventually, the queen transferred her affections to another lady-in-waiting, Abigail Marsham, and banished her first love from court. Sarah is an ancestor of World War II Prime Minister Winston Churchill. At the 17th and 18th century court of Versailles, ladies-in-waiting played key roles in the rigid court system of rank and protocol. The dressing and undressing of the queen each day were elaborate ceremonies, watched by members of the court and performed by ladies-in-waiting. It was crucial that the highest-ranking woman in the room have the honor of performing the tasks in the queen's toilette. Marie Antoinette's mistress of the bedchamber, Henrietta Campon, recorded, One winter's day, the queen, who was entirely undressed, was just going to put on her shift. I held it ready unfolded for her. Just then, the dame du honneur came in, slipped off her gloves, and took it. A scratching was heard at the door, and in came the Duchess d'Orléans. Her gloves were taken off, and she came forward to take the garment. But as it would have been wrong for the Dame d'Honneur to hand it to her, she gave it to me, and I handed it to the princess. More scratching. It was Madame la Comtesse de Provence. The Duchess handed her the linen. All the while, the Queen kept her arms crossed upon her bosom and appeared to feel cold. Madame observed her uncomfortable situation, and without taking off her gloves, she put on the linen, and in doing so, knocked the queen's cap off. The queen laughed to conceal her impatience, but not until she had muttered several times, how disagreeable, how tiresome. All this etiquette, however inconvenient, was suitable to her royal dignity. Marie Antoinette befriended Gabrielle, Duchess du Polignac, and Marie-Louise, Princess de Lombelle, and appointed them both ladies-in-waiting. In the build-up to the French Revolution, the queen became a scapegoat for the ills of the kingdom. Her reputation circled the drain, and her ladies were brought down with her. 
thousands of pornographic pamphlets alleged that Gabrielle was the queen's lesbian lover. There is no proof of these accusations, but homophobia further damaged the queen's character. Once the revolution began, the royals were arrested and locked up in Paris. The queen was allowed to keep a handful of her ladies with her. Gabrielle had already been forced to flee the country, but Marie-Louise remained by her side. Desperate, the queen wrote to her Austrian family, urging them to invade France and rescue her. When Marie's treachery was exposed to the people, an armed mob attacked the palace, massacred the family's Swiss guard, and interrogated their attendants. Marie-Louise refused to give evidence against her mistress. She was taken out into the street, where a group of men savagely beat her to death. Her head was cut off and paraded through the streets. The mob called out to Queen Marie Antoinette to kiss the lips of her dead favorite. She fainted at the sight. The French monarchy was abolished in 1792, and the king and queen beheaded the following year. But by 1804, General Napoleon Bonaparte had skillfully maneuvered his own ascension as the new Emperor of France. His wife, Empress Josephine, had her own court of 36 ladies-in-waiting. When Queen Victoria first ascended the throne in 1837, her Prime Minister, Lord Melbourne, became a father figure to her. She took his advice on who to appoint to her household. Most of her 25 ladies-in-waiting were related to members of his political party, the Whigs. When Melbourne was voted out of office two years later, his successor, Robert Peel, requested that some of the Queen's ladies be replaced with women from his own political party, the Tories. The young Queen, not wanting to change her friends, refused. But this was seen as the Queen, who was supposed to remain politically impartial, playing politics. Peel refused to become Prime Minister. The bedchamber crisis tarnished the young queen's reputation. Victoria's second major scandal also involved a lady-in-waiting, Flora Hastings, who was in the service of the queen's mother, Victoria, Duchess of Kent. The queen had a difficult relationship with her mother and hated her comptroller and possible lover, John Conroy, who had tried to control Victoria throughout her childhood. Lady Flora Hastings had taken an unchaperoned carriage ride with John Conroy, and a few months later, her stomach began to swell. The Queen accused Conroy of having impregnated her. Victoria humiliated Flora by demanding that she submit to an intimate examination, which revealed that she was in fact a virgin and dying of liver cancer. The Queen's Tory enemies blamed her for ruining the young woman's reputation. After Flora died, Her Majesty's carriage was pelted with eggs, and angry crowds prevented her from leaving Buckingham Palace. When Peel again won election, she conceded, swapped out three of her 25 Whig ladies for Tories, and the scandal blew over. In 1848, revolutions rose up against monarchies all over Europe. 
After seeing what happened to the king and queen of France, most remaining monarchies decided to reform their lavish lifestyles and tighten their belts rather than find their own heads on the block. Courtiers, ladies-in-waiting, and other hangers-on were reduced in an effort to appease the people. Today, ladies-in-waiting still exist, though they are an honorary posting and no longer have the day-to-day requirements of dressing the queen and wiping her bottom. Instead, they act as social secretaries and attendants at state events, visits, and receptions. Beatrix, Queen of the Netherlands from 1980 to 2013, had seven hofdoms. Sylvia, the current Queen Consort of Sweden, has only three hofdommer. In the UK, the various ranks of ladies-in-waiting have remained roughly the same since the Tudor era. However, in practice, many offices have been left vacant. For example, in recent times, maids of honor have only been appointed for coronations. In her final years, Queen Elizabeth II had five ladies-in-waiting who served her for two-week shifts in rotation. They could claim expenses but did not receive a salary, but as they were from wealthy noble families, this wasn't an issue. The ladies were appointed for life and were at the Queen's side for decades. Lady Susan Hussey served the Queen since 1960. She is a godmother of Prince William and rode with the Queen to the funeral of her husband, Prince Philip. After Elizabeth's own death, Susan continued as a lady of the household under King Charles. But at an event in November 2022, which she was attending with Queen Camilla, Susan repeatedly asked charity executive Ngozi Falaniware where she was really from and other shockingly ignorant and racist questions. Amid the uproar, Susan apologized and resigned. Later that month, Queen Camilla announced that she would end the tradition of ladies-in-waiting. Instead, she will be helped by Queen's companions, who hold less formal roles and are not involved in replying to letters or developing schedules. She currently has six such companions, who all come from aristocratic or wealthy families. Catherine, Princess of Wales, has chosen not to appoint ladies-in-waiting of her own. She prefers to be aided by hired staff, who are selected for their public relations expertise rather than their noble lineage. So it seems, with the next generation of royals, the centuries-old position of lady-in-waiting may be dying out. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.